0: And what do we do with that? So this is going to be a great journey for the next nine or ten weeks. Uh, So I'm glad you're here at the start. There's also, if you're a regular here at Southside, there's the study books at the front door. If you're involved in a growth group, grab one of those. That's what we'll be doing for the next nine weeks or so. If you're not in a growth group, please grab one too. If you want to uh, listen to the talks and go through the passages uh, in your own homes, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But they're all at the front door. Welcome to one. Let's pray before we look at this uh, amazing passage. Dear Father, we do thank you uh, for the way we know you through your word, the the way you reveal yourself to us through your spirit, and that as we meet here, that you are meeting with us. So, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us so we can understand you more, understand your great uh, message of grace and compassion and love through Jesus Christ, that you would open our ears, empty our minds of uh, the busyness, but, Lord, let us have open hearts to hear you speak. Amen. This week, uh, I received a letter from the Premier's office, Premier of Queensland, with an invitation for dinner. That's right, I'm reading the start of this letter and going, "Uh, dear Reverend Wilson, yeah, you're welcome to come to dinner uh, with the Premier. Uh, We're having this event up the road and you're more than welcome to come. And I thought at that time, that is pretty cool, because I felt like all of a sudden I'd become a somebody. You know, not everybody gets this letter, right? Or don't shatter my dreams and tell me you got one too, right? Uh, But everybody, I got this letter, so, yeah, it would be pretty cool to say, you know, to name drop. I was having lunch with um, the, the Premier the other day and, you know, how good that would have been. I can't remember her name, Anastasia. <laughs> I was having lunch with Anastasia the other day. Um, and how good that would have been. And I read further about what, what does this all mean. And I read, you know, hey, to come to this lunch, uh, there will be a room full of people, she's going to give a speech and it's going to cost you $80. Hang on, this changes things a little bit. Oh, but wait, there's more. If you get a table of ten, that would cost $800. So bring along all my friends and we could all listen to Anastasia. That would be great. But then the question's different then, isn't it? It's like not, gee, this is going to be great for me, how, how awesome it is that I've become a somebody, to why would I go to that? Why would I pay the money and go to hear that when it's oh, I'm cos... What's in it for me? Will it actually make me look that much better? You know, am I hobnobbing with all the important people of the city? Or is, am I just a nobody? Like, what? what benefit is it for me? And I realised at that point, actually, a lot of people hear the message of Jesus in a similar way. We give them the invitation, here's this amazing uh, man in Jesus that he's actually the son of God and that he's come to save you and you can have life through him, come to know him, to trust him. And the, But the question is, well, why? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? And it's a good question. If you're going to follow somebody and commit to somebody, you've got to ask the question, why? And should what's in it for me what does it do for me and that that results in how you respond to the message the invitation so as we get into acts we see lots of people getting this invitation about jesus and we're going to follow particular people for the first four or five weeks this morning we're looking at philip's journey uh about how he goes out and he's proclaiming jesus he's going to tell us about two disciples that um that heard the message of jesus and responded and they responded Uh, with that question why why should I follow Jesus and we hear about uh, how they reacted to that but over this next time we as we hear about real people hearing about Jesus responding to Jesus some many different ways we realize it's a message for mums and dads for rich and poor for leaders for servants you know for everybody this message is out there the invitations out there for everybody but how do we respond Philip says, I want to tell you about two people. This is his part of the testimony recorded in the book of Acts. Now, we meet Philip just to realise the change. You know, who is this Philip guy? He's not an apostle. But he, we met him back in chapter 6, where the apostles, uh, Jesus uh men, that he, his disciples that he had with them, now Jesus has ascended into heaven and given them the, the, the job, the role of proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the world, uh, they realised as people were coming into here, uh, the people were gathering and they needed help, they needed food, and actually the cooking and the serving of food was getting such a big job, they needed help, so they appointed a few people to wait on tables, a guy called Stephen, a guy called Philip, and a few others. And as so so the disciples who now apostles, what we call apostles, could then concentrate on on getting into the word and teaching the word and and praying for people, what they were meant to be doing. So we meet Philip as a table waiter, uh, and his mate Stephen and a few others. We get to uh, chapter seven in Acts, and all of a sudden, as the words going out, the apostles need help. Stephen is proclaiming the message of Jesus in Jerusalem. That's not a good health career move for your health because uh you know when jesus proclaimed the kingdom of god to the Jeru- to jews in jerusalem they stoned uh, they they nailed him to the cross so when stephen did it they stoned him they killed him and that forced people to scatter out so philip's one of the people who scattered but he's now become a preacher he's so uh he's seen god at work he's he's understand stood the truth about jesus now he's proclaiming jesus out in the towns and villages And he says i want to tell you about two unlikely believers that meet the messiah they're very unlikely believers he says i want to tell you the story the first one he says uh is a man called simon uh, and he's a sorcerer now he's an unlikely believer for two reasons one is he practices this magic but it's not just magic like illusions that we might see today and go oh wow that's nice but you know that's a good trick But no, this is more like black magic, sorcery that uh, curse people and have power to to do amazing things uh, through what the Bible calls the work of Satan. And see, that's not a good thing. God doesn't like that. He actually forbids those people uh, to be called worshippers of God. He casts them out, out of his presence. Back in Deuteronomy, he says that's forbidden to do those sort of things. But this Simon, you've got to know, he's described as someone great. He boasted how great he was. I'm not sure how he picked that up in the reading. Uh, people thought he was great. He did great things. He was known as the great power. You know, it's not here comes Simon's, here comes the great power. He was so powerful. So, but it's because of his sorcery. His power gives him this reputation. There's a reason why he can't come to God and become a true worshiper. The second reason is from Samaria. I don't know whether you know any of the politics in first-century Judaism, uh, but the Jews in Jerusalem—they hated lots of things in life. But one of, right up there was one of the worst things they hated: the Samaritans. They did not like them one bit because the Jews said, "We are the true people of God. We've got the true place. We've got the true calling. You know, we've got the holy mountain. We've got the holy city in Jerusalem. We've got the holy temple. We are the true people." The Samaritans said, "No, no." We're also the true people. We have the message of Moses in the Old Testament. We have that. We're the true people as well. The Jews got in such an uproar, they said, No, you're not even allowed to go near the temple. You're not a true worshiper of God. So they built their own uh, holy city and their own holy temple to try and be these true worshippers. You, you feel the tension when, if you know the story when Jesus met the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. She asked a question Where is the right place to worship? Is it in Jerusalem? Is it our place? What's going on? So there's confusion. Are these people in or out? As far as the Jews are concerned, they're out. They're not going to be believers. You've picked this up in the reading when we're here. Philip proclaiming the good news to the Samaritans. Many believe. And then we see in verse 14, he says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, what did they do? Did they rejoice? Praise God that even the Samaritans believe. No, it says they sent Peter and John. So we've got to check this out ourselves. This is so unbelievable. Samaritans believing in Jesus and being a part of the family, we need to see it for ourselves and check this out. This is how far it is for a Samaritan to be understood as as somebody in God's family. So we meet Simon. He's a sorcerer from Samaria. Things going against him. According to the law, he can never be a true worshipper. But when he heard the message of Jesus and it specifically says uh, Philip proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah because they had a good understanding of the Messiah from uh, they had the scriptures of Moses going you know there's going to be someone greater God's man God's is going to come look out for him. Uh, and he, that, in combined, he sees the miracles that Philip is doing, and then the uh, disciples are doing, you know, they're healing people, they're casting out evil spirits. and he goes, "Wow, I'm great. He's, he's the great one, Simon. but I can see this Messiah, Jesus that you talk about, he's even greater. So I, he says, "I want to believe." I want to be baptised. Baptism is just meaning I'm no longer on the outside. I'm I'm a part of the family now. It's a sign that I believe in Jesus and I'm part of the family. I want to be baptised. So I want to be a part of this. Now, if we stop the story there, it's a great story, isn't it? Jesus going out, the message of Jesus. People being changed, transformed, uh, giving up their old ways and living for him and having eternal life. That would be great. But even Philip says there's more to this story that's going on. When Simon sees Peter and John laying hands giving people the Holy Spirit we're not sure exactly what's going on there but there must have been some outward sign when God's entering the people themselves yeah it's it's amazing thing and something must have been really noticeable for Simon to go wow that is really cool that God himself's entering people through the Holy Spirit that a holy God would enter sinners like that Simon says that's so good This is why I want to follow Jesus. This is is the crunch. I want to follow Jesus, and this is where his true colours come out. This is why. The great power, called Simon, can use Jesus to become even greater. This is what I'm in it for. I want to look even more greater, more powerful. So he goes to the apostles, um, can I have this? How can I get this power to give the Holy Spirit, just like you guys? How can I do it? He says, you know, I'm willing to pay. How much money do you want? He goes, it's not about money. Keep your money. He says, oh, I know how it works. Uh, let me put in a uh, donation and then you can give me the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. No, no, that's not how it works. Oh, okay, do you want money in a bag left at your front door? I'm willing to pay for this gift. He really wants this gift. Yes, I'm embellishing the story. But you can feel the heart of the story. He says, I really want this because this is going to make me a somebody, the great, even greater if I can get this. They said, no, there's serious issues going on here. Now, we need to recognise that this is not just an issue for Simon, the sorcerer. He's not the first person to do this. Even the disciples themselves had experienced this same sort of heart desire. What can I get out of Jesus? He can make me great. He can make me better. You might remember the story, uh, it's in Mark 10, if you want to read it sometime, where the disciples were talking to Jesus James and John, sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus. They say, teacher, they said, we, we want you to do something uh, for us, whatever we ask. And you know that's always going to be a dangerous question. So Jesus says, what is it you want me to do? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now to sit the right and the left, they're, they're the important seats. You know, the saying, uh, he's my right-hand man, you know, that sort of saying. It means they're the most important to me. They're critical to me. So we want to be your right-hand man and your left-hand man. We want to be right up there because we see you're great and we want, we want to bounce off that and become great with you. Jesus replies, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're asking. The other disciples, they're not innocent either. They're dirty because they didn't think of it first. So they go, man, we wanted wanted great seats with Jesus at the banquet table as well. We want to bounce off Jesus to become great. They all wanted to use Jesus in some sort of way to make themselves greater on this earth, more status. This is who I am. This is what I want out of Jesus. But we do it too, don't we? I mean, surely we're all guilty of this. In our prayers, we notice, uh, dear God, you know, help me out with this. God, if I could just have this. If you could give this for me, th- this would work out. And the bigger the request, the bigger we ask God, you know, dear Heavenly Father, oh, gracious and merciful, holy God. You know, I'm sure God's thinking, oh, here goes. He's, he's the big one coming now. He's buttering me up god give me this great job you know if i had more money i'd be able to do all these things if i had better family you know give me the perfect family give me this and that and i'll be better and i'll live for you and you make promises then if i had a better job i'd be able to give more work to the work of your kingdom and i would be able to serve you more in different we try and do a deal with god but at the end of the day it's all about trying to make us greater at the end of the day whether it's simon whether it's the disciples whether it's us Jesus is no longer our Messiah, our Lord, but he's our servant. Jesus is my servant because he's there to make me better. Why else would I be a Christian? This is why I follow Jesus, because it's making me look better. It's making me be better, more successful. This is what it's all about. But the apostles say to Simon, they they know what's going on. He says, you've got a real heart issue going on here. This is not just a casual request. This is an issue of the heart. They say, you better pray and repent, ask for forgiveness, because your heart is captive to sin when you think it's all about you. At this point, Simon recognises, it's interesting, he doesn't just run away, he recognises the power of God to punish him. Simon's powerful, but he can see God's more powerful by just observing some of the miracles that he's done. So he realises his greatness is even no match for God's greatness. That's why I think he doesn't pray for forgiveness. He asks the the disciples, can you pray for my forgiveness? Because I know I'm no match. But he realises that. We get to the end of the story of Simon the sorcerer. Proclaimed Jesus, believed, was even baptised. But then why? Why am I doing this? To make me great. Jesus, my servant, was his attitude. And that ends there. It's all about me, according to him. But Philip goes on. He says, I want to tell you about another great man that I come across. He says, an angel came to me, uh, told me where to go to meet this other person. I didn't know who I was going to meet, but an angel told me. And we go, that's an amazing story. An angel appeared to you and told you exactly where to go. Tell us about that. And he goes, no, that's not the amazing thing about it. The amazing thing and what it does to this man's life. So he goes on to talk about the man. He meets an Ethiopian man. Uh, Now, he is another unlikely believer, really unlikely. Can God change this guy's heart? Now, we need to realise that uh, just saying he's he's from Ethiopia actually says a lot. Ethiopia in uh, that first century captured a big area. It's more along the lines of Sudan and South Sudan. And historians tell us one of the wealthiest areas in that first century. They're a rich nation. And if you know what a Sudanese person looks like and what a, what a Jew looks like, so if somebody come to the temple to worship God, a Sudanese kind of doesn't really look like a Jewish man. They stand out a bit. So he's not allowed to enter the temple to worship God. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's Samaritans. Samaritans are awful. But the Gentiles can't come into the temple area. Think of it like this. If this was uh, like the if this church building was like the temple behind here is the holy of holies so you have the holy room uh, and it's got two sections that only very few priests can go into then you have a courtyard where only the jewish men could come into to make their sacrifices because the men represent the families I mean, it's totally sexist but they're representing their families uh making the sacrifices they can come closer to the temple Uh, in in the inner courtyard, there's the outer courtyard which is kind of like our morning tea area. That's the Jewish women and their families. They could get that close to the temple uh, because, you know, it's trying to get the temples where God's dwelling. They want to come close to God. But if you're a Gentile like the Ethiopian, there's the outer courtyard for you. Gentiles can only come as close to the outer courtyard. That's like the car park out there. So the Jews would leave their animals and their donkeys that they were riding on out in that area. So if you're a Gentile coming to worship God into Jerusalem, you're in the car park. That's as close as you can get. And that's what this Ethiopian man was doing. He's coming from Jerusalem and calls him a worshipper. He would have come as close as the car park to do that. So he's not a true worshipper. Never be allowed to be a true worshipper. That was just for the Jews. But there's a second reason. He's a eunuch, which simply means he's unable to father children you can Google more if you want to know more information about that. Unable to have children. It says in Deuteronomy that, for, that they can never be a true worshipper. Eunuchs, they're, they're, they're not formed right or they're not right. They're not allowed. So again, for a second reason we're told, he's not allowed to be a true worshipper. He's got to be at arm's length for that sort of thing uh, to be a worshipper. Even though he tried to go to the temple, says you know, he's a worshipper of God. Can it be a true worship, according to the Jews. But this man was great as well. He says he's an important uh, official. We see that when he wants to stop, stop his chariot, he just says, Stop. And the men that's carrying it or the, the, the horses, guiding the horses, they just stop immediately. Like he gives orders, he is an important official. He's in charge of the treasury of a rich country. So you know, he's got lots of power and influence and wealth in his control. Uh, he works for the, the department of the Queen. Uh, so he's like a minister in the government, uh, which explains why he's a eunuch, to to have that responsibility with the queen's household, the women of the the palace, in a sense, that that's his role. So there's lots of responsibility for him as well, that he's a great man. But he's reading about another great man. He's going along in his chariot. It's a long journey. He's reading uh, bits. He's reading Isaiah, and he's up to the section around chapter 53. But you can imagine if you're riding on a long journey, you're not just going to read those just a few verses, are you? You're going to read slabs. It's a long journey. It's not like he's got his iPad to play games on, so he's reading these scrolls and scriptures. You know, it's kind of this what I'm going to learn about God on this journey. So you can imagine that he'd be reading more than these few verses that are quoted. We we use this saying when we uh, critique our Bible talks um, before a Sunday when we do that, that there's always something in the talk that's got us... There's something in the passage that usually smacks us in the face. It's the punch of the passage. You know, what is it? I think the few verses that is quoted there is the punch, it's the smack. And when you read it by itself without the context, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, somebody's suffering and humiliated. But you don't get the full story unless you get read around it. What's going on in chapter 52 of Isaiah? This is where he asked Philip for help. Explain to me what's going on here. And if... You know, it says Philip explained it. And I could imagine it would go something like this. Look at chapter 52. Look what it says about this person. It says, God calls him my servant. What does that mean to be God's servant? His special chosen handpicked servant. He says he will be highly exalted. Not just exalted, so exalted The more exalted you are, the more um, authority you have, the position of status you have. So, you know, you could have a throne that's on the floor. Sitting on a throne is good. But if you're a throne up on the stage or a higher stage, it means more authority you've got. The servant of God's is highly exalted. So high, he says he's going to shut the mouths of kings. Kings on their thrones is much higher than them. So much more authority. He is what they're calling the Messiah. A term we heard back uh, from Philip preaching to to, uh, Simon. The Messiah, the Lord, God's chosen leader. He's going, yeah, I understand. This guy's a man in ranks, he's in governments, he knows what he's talking about. This guy's highly exalted, servant of God. He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be followed, this God's man. Yet, with that in context... Then we read verse 32 in Acts, where it said, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This man in authority, he's now humbling himself. He's given up that authority to be like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. But this is the one that shuts the mouths of kings. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice, who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. See, this is the punch. This is the smack across the face when you realise what's going on here. Because the Ethiopian, looking through his eyes, he'd be saying, No, this one, this Messiah, Jesus, uh, Jesus God's man, he should be the one slaughtering others. He should be the one humiliating others. He should be the one taking others' lives from the earth. But then Philip explains the good news, it says about jesus it says keep reading yes this one of authority gave up all those rights of authority to suffer that but also read uh in isaiah 53 he says after suffering he will see the light of day again he's not going to stay dead he's going to be raised from the dead that's what happened to jesus it also talks about the righteous servant will justify many that's what jesus did in his death Resurrection, justified the, those on the outside. It also says he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their sin, the sin that was keeping them out, deserved punishment. Jesus gave up his position to take their punishment. He says, "You know what this means. You know what this means for somebody like a the Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus, the great Messiah, the Lord, gave up his greatness." before the pun, for others so he took on the punishment he took on the rejection for your sin so you don't have to be rejected and punished anymore there's no more sitting in the car park you don't have to do that anymore he's taken that restriction away he says believe this jesus and you're a true worth- worshiper as well you're a part of the family you can come near to god you will be a true worshiper if you trust in jesus how does the ethiopian respond It's like, look, there's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? Baptism again, the symbol of no longer on the outside, I'm on the inside, I'm a part of the family. The sign, let me be baptised. I want to follow this guy. I want to submit to him. See, this man in his greatness, he was far from God, even though he was seeking, but yet now, through Jesus, he has a life of rejoicing. He goes off rejoicing, we're told, because he's now on the inside. When he asks the question, why, why should I do this? He can see there's something much greater going on than it's just my greatness. It's about the greatness of the Messiah, isn't it? The greatness of him. When he says, what's in it for me? He says, well, Jesus welcome me into the family. What more do I want? That's all my, I dream of to be in God's family. See, if we read through a bit more of Isaiah, which I'm sure he would have been doing, he would have read Isaiah 25, where God talks about a great banquet table. He talk about the banquet table in heaven. This is going to be meats of all kinds, you know, the best wines, and we're going to be there at the wedding banquet, uh, what uh, Revelation refers to it as the great wedding banquet, uh, where Jesus comes to take his bride, the church. But there will be plenty of food there, good times. But only God's people are going to be there at this wedding banquet. And he's saying, you know who's going to be there? God's at the head of the table. The last person you'd expect is an Ethiopian eunuch. We'll be at the wedding table. The great banquet for eternity with God himself. I'm not sure whether you've been following the US election recently. If you're looking for some light news, it's always a good uh, read. But from there we see, I I did notice, uh, because you know how they have the big performances and big stadiums, they come at a cost. They have big fundraising rallies as well if you want to uh, help their cause. So a little bit earlier in the year, they all had their fundraising rallies to raise money. They gave you the opportunity to sit at the table of Hillary Clinton. So you could go, you could pay money to sit on an outer table to hear Hillary Clinton speak, share her story, but you could pay more to sit at her table. How much do you reckon it's worth to sit at the table of Hillary Clinton? It's going to cost you $100,000, American dollars at that, $100,000. Donald Trump's not that cheap, as you know. Uh, To sit at his table, you can go and pay less if you want just to be in the same room as him, but to sit at his table, it's going to cost you $225,000 to say, I sat at the table with Donald Trump. You can't touch his hair, you can't touch his coat even, but I sat at the table with Donald Trump, 225,000. There is one more expensive, and that is, if you want to go to a Hillary Clinton fundraising dinner, you could sit on the outskirts and pay a bit, you could sit with Hillary, pay 100,000, but you could sit with someone else and pay more. You could sit at George Clooney's table That would be better than Hillary, wouldn't it? It's George Clooney's table. And it's only going to cost you $350,000 to sit with George Clooney and to hear Hillary speak. But it comes at a cost. If you want to be with famous people, big name people, it comes at a cost. And in a sense, to be sitting at God's table, what's that going to cost? This is God of the universe. Creator and sustainer of the universe. Powerful, could do anything just like that. What's it going to cost to sit at God's table? Simon says, how much? I want to be with God because I want to look great. How good would it be to drop, you know, I was having a chat with God the other day and, you know, doing that. And and for him to look good, how much is it going to cost? Let me pay. I want to pay. And the apostle says, you haven't got enough money to pay for this. On your way. But you can imagine the Ethiopian gets his invitation to the banquet with God's table. He reads, opens it up just like I opened up my letter. He goes... You know, here's, here's the invitation to sit at God's table, the great banquet for all of eternity. It's going great, this is fantastic. But I'm an Ethiopian, I'm a Gentile, I'm a eunuch. I guess I'll get my food, but I'll be out in the car park. That's as close as I get, I'm out in the car park. But no, he reads further and he says, the price for your seat at the table has been paid in full. Somebody's paid the price. Who, who would do that? Reads on further, God's own son, Jesus, who gave his life so you can sit at the table. He gave up his seat at the table. Jesus, who deserved every bit to sit at this table because he's the son of God, holy and righteous, gave up his seat for an Ethiopian eunuch to be at the table with God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection makes makes him righteous to sit there. See, the message goes out. We see the disciples, they're proclaiming Jesus. This is the good news of grace. You lot know, you weren't a true worshipper, but now you are through Jesus Christ. Follow him, trust him. Are you going to accept him as someone greater, or are you going to make him your servant? Is Jesus your Messiah, your Lord, but the one who's given you the seat at his own cost? Or are you going to expect him to be your servant and to make you even greater? Is it all about you? all about him. Will you accept and trust Jesus because of his greatness? Because he's the one worthy to be called the Messiah and Lord, the one who suffered so you can have the glory in eternity. It's the message that people will respond differently. But I suppose I want to challenge you. Why do you follow Jesus? You've got to ask the question why would I give up my life? Why would I put my life on the line? Because of your greatness? Because of his greatness? Philip said he's much greater, much better reason. Follow him for his greatness. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your grace upon us. Lord, we know in our hearts that that we are not worthy of being with you. When we consider what a holy, great God looks like and to be in your presence, to be sitting at your table, that we are certainly not worthy, that we would expect to be sitting at the car park or even further away. So, Lord, we just awe and wonder at why you gave yourself up for us, that your love for us just blows our mind, that you would give up your seat, that you would die the death, that you would take the rejection that we deserved so we can sit at the table. Lord, thank you for opening your arms to us as sinners. Lord, I pray for each of us that you know where our hearts are on our our own journey. The only reasons why we follow you, whether it's for our own benefits, whether we think of you as, as our servant, that we want you to make us great. Lord, we want you to, to work on our hearts, that you would use your Holy Spirit, Lord, to change us, to speak to us, to transform us into your children that, that worship you and adore you and you alone. There's nothing about us, all about you and your grace and the great message of uh, the cross on our lives. Lord, we pray for us as a church, we pray for us as a community that we might proclaim this great news, that many people might believe, that many people might be at that wedding banquet table uh, for heaven and eternity. Lord, use us in that journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.